Well, good morning. Um, I think that time of connecting may be one of the most important times of the service. Um, you know, the Apostles' Creed talks about the communion of saints, which is God's people connecting with each other in community, in relationship, and in fellowship. So uh, I regret that we can't have that time a little longer, but it's a sweet time, and uh, it was... It was, you guys are getting rowdy in here. I like that. It was loud. It was like, you know. Um, so uh, a few things before we get into our sermon this morning. Uh, we want to thank everyone who came out to the women's tea party event. It was a great success. There was, I don't know, 35, 35 women, 35, something like that. And uh, I left. So um, I was just out and about. I went to the library and I was reading and the library closed and I, you know, I was just kind of like, so how's it going? You know, it's like pushing 10. <laughs> At some point she said, you can come home now. So anyways, but we're just, uh, we're grateful that uh, for fellowship events like that. And I'm hoping this summer, I'm not taking classes. I'm hoping this summer we can have some men's events, maybe some, uh, some bowling and some uh, other events, maybe some fishing or some uh, retreat or something like that, uh, hunting, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll fill in the blank. Uh, funny thing, men, you know, men need a reason to get together. We don't just get together to bear our feelings, you know, it's, so it's, that's just how men are wired. Now, hopefully we can do that once, but we've got to have a reason. It's like, you know, we've got to go bowling or hunting or something. So uh, also, before we get on our sermon, um, uh, we're going to, so we finished, uh, so our, our church promo video, we filmed several weeks ago. Uh, the video is complete, and uh, it is on our website, and so we're going to play it here in, in, in a minute, and um, we're really excited. Uh, Brandon did a great job, and just so you know, um, uh, uh, the, the footage was completely random. It was, just, it was completely random footage, and uh, Brandon said, just let me do my thing, and we said, okay, and we invited some, we had some visitors that day, so you might not recognize there might some people some be some people in the video you don't recognize but ultimately the video is for those interested in our church and it's just a picture to uh an kind of a you know it's a an informational video and a welcome video for those who are visiting on our, our website so uh anyways um can we lower the lights and and play the video
So we're excited about the video just as a, a tool of outreach, really. We have a one-minute version we're going to be putting on Instagram. And the way you can help promote your church is uh, this video in its entirety is going to be on Facebook. So I realize a lot of people aren't on Facebook or social media, but if you are, even just a little bit, visit the church's Facebook page regularly, like and share the posts. That'll ju- that's an easy way to help promote your church and give our church exposure. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're happy uh, with, uh, with that uh, final product there. So, um, and we just we're grateful uh, and rejoice that it came together uh, almost just effortless, effortlessly. So, um, turn in your Bibles to, oh, one last thing I forgot to mention, I'm wasting valuable time here. Um, Craig Nelson and a few others help set up uh, in the lobby every Sunday morning. They show up pretty early, but uh, there's not many. And sometimes Craig uh, is out there alone, or sometimes there's only one person setting up all of the tables. So we need people to to help out, people to volunteer, people to see uh, setting up and tearing down as as a way to um, to use your gifts in ministry and. Um, if that's something that you see yourself participating in and being a part of, uh, we need people, and uh, please either come forward and, and uh, talk to me about it, or Craig Nelson, he's sitting right there in the middle. Um, so we, uh, we need some help, and, uh, and pray that uh, the Lord would put it on your heart to do that. Luke chapter 4, uh, starting in the 22nd through the 30th verse, Luke 4, 22 through 30. Continuing our series in Luke. And today we're going to see Jesus as a prophet. So switch gears here. Um, We're going to look at Jesus as a prophet. He is God. And he came into human history as a man to preach and to prophesy. And that's part of his ministry. So I want to give you a little information about prophets because um, this is a passage of scripture that, that kind of demonstrates and illustrates Jesus as a prophet. So um, a prophet is someone who is chosen by God. Unlike a priest who came from, comes from a certain family, um, you know, the priests were Levites. They had a certain uh, background and they had received training and they had to pass certain exams. Um, prophets are anointed by the Holy Spirit, and they usually don't walk out of institutions. Prophets just, they walk out of the wilderness because they've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, chosen by God to declare what God says. Hundreds of times in the Old Testament, the prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. Well, they didn't speak in King James English, but you you get the drift. Um, You know, thus says the Lord, and um, they would speak for God, And they were often calling people to repent of their sins and serve Yahweh, serve the Lord, obey God. And often their their message of repentance was not received. Prophets were not popular people. They were not the rock star pastors that we think of today. Uh, They were often hated. Many prophets in the Old Testament were killed. And prophets often suffered from depression because of the rejection their message often received. 
Some people would repent and say, yes, I'm guilty. I need to repent. I'm a sinner. I, rece- I hear what you're saying. And, you, you, you know, the, 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 pro- the prophet's words, you know, were like a sniper's bullet hitting the target. And when you, when you hear a word of repentance, um, it ought to cause you to want to repent. But often, even as Christians, we fight against, you know, we fight against a word of, of repentance. Um, and so the prophets would say, you're in sin, you need to repent. Um, and they would often kill the prophets. Many of the prophets from the Old Testament were killed, not by the pagans. They were killed often by the kings and people of Israel. So Jesus comes preaching in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. Um, and he's loved by some and hated by many. Our sermon this morning is rejection at Nazareth. I was tempted to call it a mixed response, but really there's, a, there's rejection going on here. And just so we have a clear vision of what a prophet is, prophets, biblically speaking, were, according to Deuteronomy 18, were people who when they spoke for God, they were 100% accurate. Prophets were 100% accurate. And the way you could identify a false prophet who was sent by Satan is false prophets were right sometimes and wrong sometimes. So it was, they were hit and miss. But a true prophet of God was never wrong. And so as we think about you know, prophets in our own day, we realize that that would probably eliminate the vast majority of people saying they're prophets. Now Jesus is the prophet. Right? God told Moses, I will send to the people a prophet, capital P, and the people will hear him. So Jesus is the prophet with a capital P. He's God's messenger par excellence, without equal. And when we think about Jesus' words as a prophet, it's helpful to realize that when you reject the words of a prophet... You are not rejecting the prophet, you are rejecting God. And so that's helpful for us as we think about Jesus representing God, coming with a message from his Father. He says, I do nothing of myself, but everything I do, I do because the Father commands me. And I love the Father, and the Father loves me. So let's read Luke 4, 22 through 30. And it says... um, And all spoke well of him. Remember, he had just read the scroll of Isaiah. We preached that last week. All spoke well of him and marveled marveled, uh, at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? There's some cognitive dissonance going on there. Wait a minute. Great words, great message, but we know this guy. This is Joseph's son. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb... Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. 
and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him uh, out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Father, now we need to hear your word. We need to, we need to be edified and encouraged and empowered but that doesn't always come through rosy words. Sometimes it comes through words of challenge. We realize that. And so, Lord, challenge our hearts this morning with this word from uh, Luke's gospel. Lord, transform us by the hearing of the word and through the power and illumination of your spirit. Let us be convicted and convinced of its truth and leave differently than we came in. In your son's name, we pray. When I looked at this passage, what jumped out at me was it begins by saying, all spoke well of him and marveled. They all spoke well of him and marveled. And a few verses later it says, and then they wanted to kill him. <laughs> they all spoke well of him and they were marveling. You know, this is, listen to the gracious words, you know, the, the the, the eloquence and articulation and power of his words, you know, dripping from his lips, and, you know, they're just, you know, isn't this amazing? And then a few verses later, they said, you know, get him. You know, they want to kill him. And <clears throat> I was just shocked by that. And it illustrates this truth that the message of the cross is both beautiful and offensive, Jesus is beautiful to the world and offensive at the same time. On the surface, Jesus is a good teacher, a peaceful man, kind of, you know, uh, um, not imposing on anyone, doing good deeds, and everybody likes that. But the, the, the truth of his message, what, what Jesus' message is really about, is that, and what Jesus is really about, and what the cross is really about, Beautiful to the humble because at its core is the love of God, yet the cross also offends the proud. Because it essentially says, your sins are so bad that God had to send his son to die for you. That's an offensive message, right, um, to the proud. If your heart is proud, you think, I, you're telling me I'm that bad that, that, that someone had to die in my place? Give me a break. You know, I'm, I'm not that bad. But that's essentially what the cross is. The cross says, actually, you are that bad. You couldn't fix your own sins. God had to send his son to die. And the cross is both beautiful and offensive. And so Jesus, in this passage, he impresses and he offends people. He's just finished declaring in the previous section that he's come to save the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed... And at first, the reaction is positive. All were speaking well of him. They were in amazement of the gracious words falling from his lips, verse 22. Jesus was an amazing speaker. He had an eloquence and an authority about him. And over and over, the Bible says that those who heard Jesus were amazed, even astonished. 
Right? If you read through the, the Gospels, they all, they all have this expression, and they were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished because he was one who spoke with authority. You know, Jesus was an amazing speaker, and he was such a powerful and amazing speaker because the Holy Spirit had anointed and empowered him. But shockingly, what began so positively ends quickly in the people trying to kill him. Well, what happens? How did it go from good to bad so quick? How did that happen so quick? Um, what was it that changed their opinion of him? From one minute they revere him, and the next minute they want to throw him off of a cliff. Well, every time Jesus spoke, I, I kind of referred to it when I read through the passage, there's cognitive dissonance. On one hand, he spoke with conviction and authority, but they couldn't reconcile the fact that he was a familiar face. They saw the power of his words, they felt the authority coming from him, but they couldn't reconcile the fact that they knew this guy. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? They were essentially saying, you're the Messiah? Right? You know, there's that, that old adage, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Um, and Jesus knows where this is headed. He knows ultimately where it's going, and he kind of preempts them, and he says, no doubt you will say to me, physician, heal yourself. In other words, okay, if you're the Messiah, prove you are who you say you are. They said, we heard what you did at Capernaum, do it here. The people in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, they were motivated by not genuine spiritual interest, but curiosity. So they were motivated by curiosity. They weren't motivated by genuine spiritual interest. Um, they expected to see him heal because they had heard that Jesus had done that in other places, in Capernaum. But the reason that Jesus doesn't perform miracles is because when someone's heart is hard, there's never enough miracles to satisfy them. You ever met, you know, a skeptic, you know, someone who doesn't believe, and they, they need all these proofs, you know, for them to come to faith, you know, they'll tell you, well, you know, and I've, I've seen this in even debates, you know, if there is a God, let him appear right now. I curse him to his face. Let him, you know, show up or strike me down right now, and of course it doesn't happen, and they say, see, you know, there's no God. Jesus doesn't perform miracles like a, like a magician conjuring tricks for an audience, a paying audience. You know, a powerful king doesn't rustle his armies and saddle his horse because the village idiot is trash-talking. Jesus is not going to perform miracles because they want that for, for him to prove who he is so they can believe. It doesn't work that way. Faith doesn't work that way. You don't say, God, if you do X, Y, and Z, then I might believe in you. It doesn't work that way. God proves himself to those who believe, not the other way around. In fact, when we think about proof for God's existence, there's actually evidence and proof all over the place, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm 19 and 1. And Hebrews 11 and 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by God's command, so that what is seen has been made from the things that are not visible. And so when God hears people saying, you know, let God do this and prove, you know, that he exists. Let him, you know, show up right now in front of me. You know, God is just saying, they have plenty of proof. Look out your front door. There's proof everywhere. The beauty of the mountains and the oceans and the valleys and the trees and the cosmos. You know, nature is screaming the reality and existence of God to the world every single day. And God is saying, they have plenty of proof. Matthew's version of this story ends this way, and he did not do many miracles there in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Now, just so we're careful, it doesn't mean that Jesus wanted to do miracles, and, but he was bound as if faith was some magical ingredient that if you just you know, sprinkled it like fairy does, you know, the miracles just start popping out. It doesn't, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that Jesus recognizes their hard, proud hearts. In fact, when you read through the New Testament, especially the Gospels, there's really two categories of people. Not necessarily sinner and saint, but the proud and the humble. And what you'll notice is Jesus will touch and heal and cure and do things for the humble. And sometimes they're believers and sometimes they're pagan. But the proud, the hard-hearted, whether they be you know, religious people or pagans, those are the people that God resists. In fact, the Bible even says that. He gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. And so their hearts are proud. They're lifted up in pride, and they're not coming to Jesus with hearts filled with faith, but, but hard hearts saying, we know you. You're Joseph's son. Prove to us you are who you say you are. And Jesus knew that it was difficult for them to accept. You know, he knew, he knew it was difficult for people to accept um, someone they were so familiar with. And he says, no prophet is without honor except in his hometown. A prophet is without honor. You know, a prophet is honored everywhere but in his own hometown, which is to say, you know, all experts come from out of town, right? Your company is going to have a, uh, you know, it's going to have a, um, a big event. You know, they don't, uh, they don't bring in a motivational speaker from accounting. They don't bring in Bob from accounting. They bring in, you know, Tony Robbins or somebody, right? You know, experts come from out of town. And <clears throat> um, Jesus makes this brilliant transition. He says... Speaking of unwelcome prophets, remember Elijah and Elisha? Look at verse 25. He says, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus' first example of a prophet being rejected by his own people was Elijah. He refers back to 
a story from 1 Kings where Elijah shut up the heavens for three years that it wouldn't rain because the nation had become apostate. Remember, Ahab was king and he was married to to wicked Queen Jezebel and they worshipped Baal, right? The, 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 The Canaanite god, Baal. And they set up altars and the nation had fallen into unbelief. And here are these powerful prophets, Elijah, and then he was succeeded by you know, his understudy, Elisha, and they're proclaiming repentance, and they have the power of God, but they're not healing and performing miracles, even though they could. Why? Because of the people's unbelief. Not perform miracles because of their unbelief. And then there's the story, the second example is Elisha, who skipped over all the lepers in Israel and only healed Naaman the Syrian. So Elijah raises the widow's son who has died, right? She's a pagan. He raises her son from the dead. And then Naaman, who's a Syrian, another pagan, he has leprosy. And some of you remember the story, right? Uh, um, His servant, servant girl says, um, Elisha, the prophet, you know, can, uh, can heal you of your leprosy. He says, go bathe in the Jordan River. And at first he gets upset because he wants it on his terms. He says, there's clean rivers in Syria. Why do I have to go down into the dirty Jordan River? And finally he gives in and bathes seven times and he's healed of his leprosy. These are not happy stories for Israel. For the Jews in Nazareth in Jesus' day... These are not warm, happy stories. These are painful stories about how the Israelites had become so wicked that the only people that God would perform miracles among were the Gentiles, the heathen dogs. This is not a happy, warm story about Israel's history. This is a knife right to the heart, and Jesus is twisting it. He's essentially saying that the nation has become like it was in the days of Ahab and Jezebel. And they're cut to the heart when they hear this. They're infuriated when they hear Jesus say this. By discussing these two prophets, he's picturing Israel in its lowest spiritual period, one of its points of lowest, you know, uh, just its lowest points of history. And the point is really clear and unmistakable, and here's the point Um, unless his hearers are willing to humble themselves like the outcast, Gentile widow, and the Syrian leper, Naaman, and admit their spiritual need, they could not be saved. Remember Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and the captive and the oppressed. Well, the inhabitants of Nazareth don't see themselves that way. Right? They're Israelites, they're Jews, they deserve the blessings of God. And he's saying, my message is for the poor and the oppressed and those who recognize their spiritual need, and they're saying, no. We don't, that's not us. You can't be talking to us. And as Christians, we can do the exact same thing, can't we? When we read some passages and we hear a message of repentance, we think, well, you know, we're, we're the people of God, and we are. But sometimes we can you know, juxtapose ourselves against the world, like an us against them. We deserve God's blessing, and the world is under the just wrath of God, 
you know, we're in the safe zone. And, and that's a dangerous place for us to be because the only thing that separates you from the sinner is grace. Not your worth, not your value, not your merit, not anything you've earned. It's just grace. You're no better in the sight of God than anyone out there in the world committing any of those abominations, anything you see on television, except for grace. Yeah, you're beloved of God, but it's because of Jesus. It's not because of you. Jesus' message of salvation is for those who recognize they're spiritually poor, prisoners blind and oppressed. So the question is, what are some things that cause us to reject Jesus? What are some of the things that cause us, right, to reject Jesus. Well, one is control. We can reject Jesus because of control. We want God to come to us on our terms. And there are certain things we expect from God we want him to do for us, and if he doesn't do it for us, we get upset and we can say, you know, forget it. You know, I served you, I came to church, I prayed three times this week, here are some things I want you to do for me, I expected these things to happen, they didn't happen, forget it, I'm going somewhere else. We can try to control God. This was, that con- this was the conflict in Nazareth. They wanted him to perform like a circus act. Do your miracles here, you know, it was their terms, and we'll believe you. The widow... In Sidon and the leper, the Syrian leper, they received miracles after they trusted, not the other way around. You know, some people come to the church on their terms, right? If God doesn't do X, Y, and Z, I'm out of here. We worship God because he's God, not because of the promises, right, that he makes to us, or we believe our dreams will come true, you know, God does give us the desires of our heart, you know, um, but that happens after our hearts have been conformed to his will and our dreams change after a while. After a while, your dreams aren't what they were, you know, 20 years ago. Your dreams, you know, they accommodate themselves to God's will and you start dreaming about the things of God. You want God to do things through you. People lose their faith often because in their mind, God isn't who he was supposed to be. You know, God means, you know, he's a genie in a bottle. He's supposed to do this, 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 and that, and he didn't do it. And then the second thing is, we can be compelled to reject Jesus because of familiarity. Some of us have grown up in the church our whole lives. We've heard this, these gospel stories a million times. We've heard the words, Jesus died on the cross for you, more times than we can count. And it's just familiar to us. And we get bored with it, and we start taking up interests in other, other things, right? They said, you're Joseph's son. We know you. We're not impressed. I told the story a, a while back of my, my parents who came out of the hippie movement in the 1960s, and they had a friend who um, they hadn't talked to for a while. She was the wealthy heiress of uh, a furniture company tycoon, um, on the West Coast, and uh, my parents became Christians and reconnected with her. Her name was Linda, and they said, we're Christians, and they were all hippies doing acid in the 1960s, 
and they were all on a magical mystery tour, you know, following the Beatles and listening to Bob Dylan and things like that. And they came back together with Linda after a few years, and they said, you know, we found the meaning of life. And she said, you know, what is it? And they, my parents said, it's Jesus. She just went, no, 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 no. can't be Jesus. That's too easy. It's too easy that it's Jesus. You mean Jesus, you know, the, the guy that they talk about in all the churches around here and the cross? No, 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 that can't be it. And Linda spent all of her fortune traveling the globe, you know, going, you know, to, you know, to, the, to the east and, you know, Nepal and Tibet and, you know, monasteries and Buddhism and trying to find the meaning of life. And so familiarity is often sometimes a reason we reject Jesus. Yeah, you know, here in the West, we're privileged. We've heard about Jesus our whole lives. And we could be tempted to think, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I'm looking into other things now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've taken parts of the gospel and Christianity that I like. And, you know, I've, I've kind of got my own understanding, right? You've met those people. Well, we can be tempted to do that too. And another reason we, we're sometimes compelled to reject Jesus is comfort. Um, serving Jesus is uncomfortable in the world we live in today. In fact, it was even back in the first century. We can be compelled to reject Jesus because proclaiming and naming Jesus Christ as Lord is uncomfortable and can be embarrassing, right? Uh, Our world, uh, our culture especially, is very good at caricaturizing Christians and making us look silly. And so sometimes it takes real courage. And so um, being a Christian often means being uncomfortable. You know, remember Jesus said... um, you'll be hated by all men for my sake. Yeah, that's, that's in the Bible. And so that's something we can't forget, that that's, that discomfort is often a part of what it means to follow Jesus. And then fourth and final, we can reject, be compelled to reject Jesus because of selfishness. We just want to do our own thing. We don't want to have to conform. We don't want to have to obey we don't want to have to listen. We don't want to have to change sin habits. We don't want to have to behave certain ways. We, we just, we're selfish. And, and for us, or, you know, we come to church on Sunday, we hear the word of God, we go back home, we don't share it because the gospel's just for me. And ultimately, we, re, we deny Christ by not letting the glory and the radiance of Jesus shine out from our hearts and from our lives by sharing it with the lost. That was ultimately the issue with the inhabitants of Nazareth. They didn't like the idea that good news to the poor meant Gentile sinners were going to be saved. They didn't like that. And if we're we're not careful, we can fall into that trap also. Jesus was the prophet par excellence. And his message was repent. Repent. He's Lord. He is God. Let's not allow any of those things. We ought not to allow any of those things, a desire for comfort or selfishness or familiarity or control, you know, for God to, serving God on our terms, any of those things to inhibit us from seeking after the Lord, from worshiping him and walking in his ways. Let's pray. Father, now we Thank you for, um, for the words here in Luke 4 
And it's easy for us to want to see the inhabitants of Nazareth as not us. Those were people a long time ago who didn't want to hear Jesus' words and lost out on salvation. But Lord, help us to recognize the ways in which we do identify with the inhabitants of Jesus' hometown. Help us to realize that we too can reject Christ because of familiarity or selfishness or wanting to control and, and, and serve him on our terms. Lord, we pray now that you would convict our hearts and that we, Lord God, would follow after Jesus even when it's uncomfortable. In your son's name we pray, amen. As the ushers come forward at this time of offertory, would you give your tithes and offerings to the Lord as an act of worship? Take my voice and let me sing Always only for my King Take my lips and let them be Filled with messages from Thee Take my silver opportunity to reflect on Jordan's message to us this morning and uh, the fact that God did send his son Jesus to die for us and what that means uh, to us. Um, Just something in Isaiah I wanted to share as we talked about prophets this morning. Um, One of the things that Isaiah shared to the people of Jerusalem in 44 verse 24, this is what the Lord says, your redeemer who formed you in the womb I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Folks, 